You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. Can you give it up for our worship team? Aren't they awesome? So cool. Glad you're here. You glad to be here? Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, Super excited about Christmas. Anybody else? Okay. All right, let's pray against the Grinch anointing. First and foremost, let's eliminate that one. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I love Christmas. Christmas is so much fun. Um, It's just a blast. Uh, Love being at home, waking up uh, at my house, smoking a brisket on Christmas is the tradition in our house, which is so of the Lord. And so, uh, yeah, honored, honored and, and happy to be here the week before Christmas. And uh, we're gonna make this announcement at the end. Steve was gonna remind you, but next week, we will not have a service uh, on, on Christmas Sunday, but we will have one service on uh, New Year's Day at 11 a.m. So don't show up next week. Show up at 11 a.m. on uh, New Year's Day. It's gonna be awesome. Uh, quick testimony, so uh, this this holiday season during Thanksgiving, back in Thanksgiving, we announced that uh, we were doing the RLC Midland Christmas Project, and this was an opportunity for us to uh, sign families up that were a part of our church, um, or nominate ourselves that if we, if we were in need of some help, uh, we could sign someone up or sign ourselves up if they were in need and help, that, and it was an opportunity for us to love on our own church family that were in need, and uh, super amazing, but we had 13 families that signed up for this, and we were able to write them $1,000 checks each, which is super awesome, so give it up for yourselves for sowing into that. Um, Man, it was, it, was, it was such a fun week around the office, just knowing that we were getting to invite people up to uh, give them money, which is awesome. So uh, I'm excited about sharing today. Um, uh, I believe what I have this morning is um, just something that the Lord's just been uh, stirring in me for a little bit. You know, we've had an incredible year. I don't know what your year's been like, but in Renew Life Church, we've seen a lot of amazing things. Uh, we've come a long way in a year. Uh, we've seen tons of miracles and marriages restored and friendships made and um, bodies healed. Like there's a list of things um, that, that, that have happened, crazy outpourings of God's presence in our services. Like God has done so many things and, and it's been an incredible uh, time to be alive. I believe that right now is the best time to be alive because uh, I've never experienced life other than right now. So, um, but I believe that it is an incredible time. I believe that God is doing some amazing things. But uh, I wanna share something with you. I kinda wanna leave you with something uh, at the end of the year. This is not like a seasonal message. This isn't a holiday message. This isn't like, uh, you know, the, the word applies to your life all of the time. Doesn't matter if it's focused at Christmas or focused at Thanksgiving. Uh, I heard a, a preacher say, and the other day, uh, if the Bible says something, uh, then it's always going to be important. It's important forever. If it said it once, it's important forever. And so um, we're gonna spend some time today talking through um, something that I feel like the Lord started speaking to me about in July. Uh, back in July, he started talking to me about living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Uh, wrote some notes on this. Didn't feel like I was supposed to share it, preach it specifically, put it down. Then uh, last month in our, our men's lunch, we do that the third Thursday of every single month across the street. Guys, uh, we'd love to have you. It's been incredible, great time. But this, this uh, Romans chapter 12 came up where it talks about living sacrifice. And, and so we, we read the entire chapter and, and focused on some things. And then I heard a message not too long ago 
on this topic again. And so it's just been stirring in me all over. And so I feel like it's, it's uh, important and it's the right time to share it. Uh, and so the title of the message today is Act of Worship. Act of Worship, we're gonna be out of Romans chapter 12. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna read some scripture and, and dive into it. Father, I thank you for uh, all that you're doing all that you've done, we celebrate you, we thank you. So, so grateful and thankful for uh, your faithfulness and the things that you do, uh, both seen and unseen. I pray that you would be with us, uh, that you would impart to us revelation, give us eyes to see, ears to hear this morning, uh, what the Spirit is saying, uh, what you would have us do and how you would have us respond. Uh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to guide us and to lead us into truth uh, as you promised that you would. And uh, we pray uh, that you would anoint us as hearers and you would anoint me as a speaker, that we would grow in connection with you together. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Romans chapter 12, verse one. If you have a Bible, you can flip over there. It's gonna be on the screen behind me, if not. Um, but it says this. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, which is your reasonable service. Uh, in this moment, the Apostle Paul is obviously talking to Romans, deep revelation, I know, since the book is called Romans. Uh, if you like that, there's a whole lot more deep revelation coming. Um, totally kidding. Uh, as I dug into this, I was just starting to read about the conditions of Rome. And what, one of the interesting things that I found, and I'm not gonna get graphic, um, because I know that there are students, kids in the room and students in the room, but one of the things that I found uh, interesting and I found out about Rome in this, in this time was that in Rome, the way in which a man asserted his dominance or uh, shown that he was masculine was that he forcibly slept with other men, women, and even young boys. That was their culture. That was the way that if, if a man was going to show up and he was going to uh, call himself dominant, the way that he did that was by forcibly uh, sleeping with men, women, and younger boys. They would actually, uh, he would, a man that was dominant would actually court, so to speak, a young boy from about the age of nine to about 13. And they, he had this relationship with him over and over and over repeatedly until that boy was then brought up to the place where he could actually repeat the process in, in order to show that he was the dominant male. So there's a complete abandonment for marriage, complete abandonment for humanity. Uh, I read this, it says, in the Roman mind, the strong took what they wanted to take. It was socially acceptable for a strong Roman male to have intercourse with men and women alike, provided that he was the aggressor. Any time that they were the aggressor was the time in which they proved that they were the actual dominant ones in the situation. So if you're on the receiving end of any of this, you were the weak ones. And if you're the weak one, you were cast out. That's the condition of Rome when Paul comes onto the scene. Crazy, utter sexual immorality crazy uh, lacks of moral compass in the area of, of sexual activity. And in the middle of this, in the middle of all of this you know, debauchery, if you will, uh, he makes this statement in Romans chapter one. Uh, he says this, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints 
grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me that the heart of God is that no matter how deep the hole of sin and filth you are in, his heart is that someday you would be called saint. That someday you would actually be called holy one. He's literally understanding the, the conditions of Rome, but he is saying, I am addressing these types of people in my letter, and I am calling them the beloved of God. I am calling them, I am prophesying that they are actually going to be called saints. This is kind of some of the background of where we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verse one. I love that the power of God is, uh, the love of God is so, so furious and so powerful that it would even prophesy to those kinds of people that are doing those kinds of things that at some point in time you will be called saint. Love that, never gives up on people. Romans chapter 12, verse one, Paul's making this statement and he's talking to, these are Roman believers, these are people that have been saved out of the conditions of sexual immorality that I mentioned. And Paul starts it off by saying this. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And this word beseech, it means to beg or to urge or to plead with someone. Paul, understanding that their culture is ruled by dominance, chooses to actually take on the role of the weaker and urge and beg them and plead with them to actually present themselves in such a way that they're holy and acceptable to God. I love the fact that oftentimes the Holy Spirit will give us language that changes the way that our audience hears the heart of the Father. Because it would make sense for us to say, okay, well, these people are, are used to the dominant lifestyle. They're used to being talked to, treated in a dominant way. Why didn't Paul just say, I demand in the name of Jesus that you make yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? That would have made more sense. They were used to that kind of talk. So many times I've seen it where God has had me or had other people come at someone who doesn't have a soft filter, but soften things by just being humble, and it actually changes everything about what they heard, and they receive it in a whole different manner. God is constantly wanting to shift the way that we interact with people. Paul taught this, he taught that he had to learn to be all things to all people, so that by all means possible, he might save some. And this is exactly what we're seeing Nonetheless, Paul, he stressed the need to be, uh, to, to, to present your bodies, their bodies, as living sacrifices to God. Why? Why would he do that? Because God actually deserves that. That's why he would do that. He goes on to say this. You can just toss Romans chapter 12, verse one back up there. He goes on to say, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So he's writing them that they might present themselves to God in a way that is unlike the way that they presented themselves in the past, right? He's saying, with the mindset of knowing that it's God's mercy which withholds things that you actually do deserve, like punishment because of your sin, you were actually shown grace and given the opportunity to receive the free gift 
of salvation. He's saying with those things in mind, with remembrance of where you were to where you are, by the mercies of God, I'm asking you to put those things into perspective and then present yourselves as a living sacrifice because it is only the right thing to do for a God that's done so much for you. That's exactly what he's saying in this moment. It's this idea of of presenting all of who I am sanctified to the Father. You know, you're a three-part being, right? So you have a, you're a spirit that has a soul, which is a mind, a will, and emotions, but you live in a body. And he's saying, I want you to take all of those things and I want you to present them all to me as a living sacrifice. That means that I pay attention to uh, my eyes and my ears, my mouth, my mind, my tongue, the things that I say, things that I see, the things that I subject my hearing to, things that I subject my, my eyes to. We present ourselves on purpose, all of those parts, to the Lord. Romans chapter six, verse 13. It says, and do not present your members, that would be parts of your body, as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We have to live our lives unto God, constantly. This means that the way that I speak to my wife is really unto the Lord. This means that if I'm praising him in here and I'm cussing her out, out there, I need to get some things in order because things are out of order. It means that I pay attention to the way that I interact with my kids. Because the way that I treat my kids and interact with my kids is actually unto the Lord. It, it means that I pay attention to the way that I do my job because I work as it's unto the Lord. Everything about my life is done unto, unto God. For all of the things that God has done for us, we owe him absolutely, we owe him absolutely everything. And he wants and he actually deserves all of who we are. I want to read our, our text again but I'm gonna read it in the Amplified Version this time. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational, logical, intelligent act of worship. Some of you are thinking, okay, wait. So like everything that I do is under the Lord, that's difficult. And now I've got to, now I've got to like, it's all worship, so now like, what do I do? Like, do I just have somebody that follows me around and I just worship because they're playing music behind me? Like, how, do, how, how is it that, it just gets more complicated with you, Lord. And I know no one's actually really thinking that I have to have a worship team follow me so I can worship the Lord. What I'm saying is we have to cross over our minds from the place of thinking that worship only exists and is only turned on to me on inside of me when I hear or am led musically into worship. That's where we have to shift our perspectives. We have this thought that uh, we, we only are worshiping, we're only worshipers when worship music is actually playing. But he's saying that the way that you present yourselves, wholly acceptable to God as living sacrifices, this is your reasonable act of worship. So there's something that seems to be uh, slightly off, and to be truthful, if the way that you respond to God in here, when you are led in moments of worship by Steve-O or the rest of the team or Rabe or whoever that is, if the way that you respond to God in those moments 
differs from the way that you respond to God in all of your other moments of living, and your cycle is that, and you're, and you're on that routine all of the time, I would tell you, I urge you and I beg you, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to him, for this is your reasonable act of worship. It's exactly what Paul is saying. The thing is this, is that God has given too much for you to end up, he's giving too much for you to end up only getting joint custody of you. Meaning, he laid too much down, he offered too much, he paid too high of a price for you to sometimes worship the next best thing and then other times worship the best thing which is him. He didn't give all that he gave so that he could have you part of the time. This isn't, an, a, this isn't a, an agreement of I get to do this at my dad's house and I get to do this at my mom's house. He didn't assign Jesus death on the cross to only have you part of the time. This is not a joint custody thing. Everything that we're talking about in the way that we live is actually worship unto the Lord. The Christian life is a lifestyle of nothing but worship. So that means that the way that you speak is worship. The way that you love, it's worship. The way that you give, it is worship. The way that you sing, it is worship. I am and you are worship unto the Lord. John chapter four, verse 23 and 24. I don't think you have this one, but I'm gonna read it. It says, but the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In this hour or this day and age where it seems like people are spinning and spiraling out of control regularly, in this time where it seems like churches are like caving to culture, and being a Christian is more seasonal than even working at a Christmas store, it's like you work at a Christmas store in the season more than you are a Christian, like all of these different things. He's saying in those types of times when things seem to be my time is here and my time is there, I'm part-time here and I'm part-time there, he's saying I am actually looking for worshipers in this hour to rise up. Not just worship. Now, do, do the lyrics of the songs that we sing, do they do something for him? Are they, are, they, are they honorable and are they good for him? For sure. But what he actually is waiting for is the sounds that come out of our mouth to actually have started in our heart. That's actually what he's, what he's looking for. He's saying, I'm waiting for people that will worship me in spirit and in truth. To worship him in spirit means that I'm worshiping God from my innermost being. That from the depths of who I really am, I'm offering my life in the way that I live, speak, talk, all these things. I'm offering all of those things to God as worship. And then he says that they have to worship him in truth. And this is the act of remembering all that Jesus has done and all that Jesus has said, that he actually laid out a true standard that if you would live by it, it will provide things in your life that you can't have otherwise. He's saying, I'm waiting for people to respond to me from the depths of who they are and worship me for the truth of all that I am. He's waiting for us, not the newest song, not the newest lyrics, 
not the newest thing that, that, that catches on. He's waiting for hearts to actually be the place where sounds are starting and then they come out of our mouth. He's waiting for worshipers. I'm gonna close with this in Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 verses five through 12 says that now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abram, Abraham, and he said to him, here I am. I love how they respond to God in these moments. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took, his, uh, took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the, his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go up yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two went, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, saying, my father, and he said to him, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. And they came to the place of which God told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and he laid him on top of the altar upon the wood. Jeez. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For I, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Such a gut-wrenching set of scriptures and account. To me, there's maybe no other more or more accurate representation of presenting yourself as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God than this. I wanna share three things as I close. The first thing is this, is that sacrifice will always cost you something. In fact, if it doesn't cost you anything, it's not sacrifice. It's just convenient. In this instance, we see that Abraham he, he receives Isaac, and Isaac was a promise from God. He had, he had prayed and petitioned, and, and Isaac was actually the fulfillment of some things that had been promised to Abraham. And then God says, I need you to take that thing that you, and, that you care for so, so much, and I need you to take it, and I need you to prepare it to be slayed and then prepare it to be burnt in order that I would be glorified. Such a, such a hard thing, but such a, a, an expensive sacrifice. Sacrifice is always going to cost you something. The second thing is this, is that obedience to God is actually worship. In this instance, Abraham does everything that God said to the T. 
He doesn't leave any details out. He did all of the things when he saw the, the mountain. He went to that mountain. He didn't go to that mountain. He didn't go to that one. That one's closer. Let's go to that one. No, he went to the one that God said for him to go to, prepared it all the way that he always prepares it, and then he laid his son all the way to the point where he's got a knife over his head in order to actually carry through with the thing that God asked him to do. It's interesting to me that he makes this statement. He says, I want the young men, these two young men that he took with him, I want you to stay here and take care of the donkey because me and the lad, me and my son, we're gonna go yonder to this mountain, we're going to worship. But there was nothing mentioned about worship before that. He's going to kill his son. But Abraham understood that I am designed to obey the Lord and when I obey, it is worship, it is gratifying to God and God will always make a way. Which is why he makes the statement, and we will come back to you. Because he knew that God was faithful. If I will obey and I'll offer myself up, God will actually bring the increase that I'm longing for. Because Abraham didn't want to kill his son. The third thing is this, is that sacrificial living that is holy and pleasing to God means that nothing is withheld. In verse 12, it says that the Lord recognized the reverence in Abraham, the fear that Abraham had of the Lord, the honor and the reverence that he actually had for God because he would not withhold even his only son. Sacrificial living that is holy and pleasing means that you leave nothing withheld from the Lord. I believe that we have so much to experience in the upcoming year. Obviously, like, incredible things have happened, but I also believe this. I believe that what got us to this point won't get us to where God wants to take us. I believe that he is asking for something different from us in this next season. The question is, is there anything withheld in your life? Is there anything that you say, God, you have full access to this, but I'm not so sure about this, and that is a definite no. Sacrificial living that's holy and acceptable means that nothing in your life is withheld from God. Meaning that everything that you have is on the table and offered to the Lord. You can change and remove and give and replace anything that I have in my life. Kind of letting the cat out of the bag a little bit early. Uh, but we're going to start the year off as a church in a 30-day prayer and fasting. I have 30 days of prayer and fasting, and this will look different for a lot of you, but what I'm asking you is this. In your, in your time during Christmas break, in your time as you conversate with the Lord, I want you to ask him in your own time, God, is there anywhere in me that you're waiting for sacrifice that I haven't given you yet? Is there anything in me that I'm withholding? Is there any place in me that you don't have access? More than anything, I just want you to get all that God's designed for you to have. It's the only reason I even stand up here, because I know that he's better. It's why I preach the messages that I preach. It's why I share the things that I share. 
because I have tasted and I have seen the goodness of God. And as a pastor, my heart's desire is that you actually experience the same things and the people next to you experience the same things and that you actually teach me things that I don't know yet. I teach you things that you don't know yet and then we actually take on things and become people that we've never thought we would be, that we walk in different powers and different anointings that no one's ever seen on our life, that actually it might shift the dynamic of our church and actually might shift the dynamic of our entire city. The Lord is asking us, will you do an inventory of your life and will you offer me anything and everything that I ask you of? promise he's not the kind of God that wants to uh, take (laughs) because he doesn't have enough or that he doesn't want you to experience life. Maybe he actually wants to take it. (laughs) He wants to take it and put it in the fab shop, put a lift and wheels and tires on it, bumpers and grills, and then he wants to bring it back to you and say, here's the thing that I actually wanted you to have the first time. That's what I'm talking about. Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to renewlifechurch.com.